0: Welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. Isaiah 9 6 says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The prophet Isaiah said that. That's from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Today, my guest is Jeff Ferdorn. We're going to talk about. Uh, prophecy in the christmas seed
1: jeff mm. welcome back to the show hi bill thank you how was that introduction was that, that semi, was semi-accurate semi yes we're Good. going to talk about why uh, the bible says this messiah had to come and some of the prophecies that he would come
0: yeah well this is going to be a wonderful hour uh jeff is a uh, bible teacher friend of mine mentor of mine and i always enjoy and i learn so much when he comes into the studio and here he is today we're going to talk about let's start with um of uh, some Old Testament prophecies and some New Testament fulfillments, this will be an exciting hour
1: cool so yeah i'm i uh I teach a class called Christ in Prophecy, where we actually look at all of the first coming prophecies for Christ, and there's a lot of categories, kind of types of prophecies for the coming of Christ. there's what I call direct prophecies, and so this is like Jesus would be born in. Bethlehem right mm-hmm. so that's a direct prophecy, a direct prophecy that says here 's what 's going to happen, and then the fulfillment that it actually does now interesting, there are a lot of people out there that will have lists of first coming prophecies these direct prophecies, and most put it at about a hundred. my personal list I have eighty three direct prophecies for Christ um, I wanted my direct prophecies to just be uh the absolute direct unique prophecies. I think some of the lists have, um, you know, they include a, uh, two different items, and I really think they're the same item because mm-hmm. they're just described a little bit differently in different places in the Old Testament. But then there's things uh, for indirect prophecies. So there are events that happened. For example, um, it says of the Christ that he will come out of Egypt. Well, Israel went down into Egypt, and then came up out of Egypt. The life of Joshua is often seen as a prophetic type for the coming of the Christ. So we'll, we'll look at a couple of those nice. uh, later on. And then there's prophecies in even in objects. So one of the things that I want to point out today is that the mercy seat uh, that was in the temple, in the holy place, that was on the Ark of the Covenant, is actually prophetic of what Mary saw, when she came into the tomb. So we'll talk about that. So you got direct prophecies, uh, prophecies in type for people and events, and even ineminent objects of the Old Testament point to the coming of our Lord. Well, let's get to it. This sounds great. Well, then let's get to the first prophecy. So this one, we're going to spend a little bit of time on this one, because this one is actually really cool. So the first prophecy for Christ is actually in Genesis chapter 3, And verse 15. So I want to read it here. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head or crush your head, depending on your version, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Well, so that's about clear as mud, isn't it, right? (laughs) I mean, what's going on here? This is not a very clear prophecy for the coming Messiah. It's just, at this time, just a hint, just a clue, just a glimmer of what is this seed that is going to come. Now, if we're going to understand this prophecy, let's first understand the characters here and what's happening in this prophecy. So we're in Genesis chapter 3, which is immediately after the fall of mankind, right? So God made the world. He made everything. He made plants and fish in the water and bird in the sky and everything that moves across the ground. And he saw that it was all good. And all of these things could reproduce themselves. So we know that God is the author of all life and the giver of all life. Well, he created life that could also reproduce itself. And then, of course, on the sixth day, He makes man, actually man and woman, Adam and Eve. And they could also reproduce themselves. And once again, he says, Genesis 3, 1, that it was good. So we've actually talked about this a couple times ago when I was on your show about the problem of evil. Well, where did evil come from? And if God is a good God, did he then make evil? Well, no, he didn't make evil. What he made was good, but mankind fell. They disobeyed him, and that's where we get the bad stuff, right? This evil. And by the way, Satan. So God gives them one command, right? He says, of any tree in the garden you can eat, but this one tree, the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat because if you eat of that tree, you will surely die. And so a while later, we actually don't know how long it is. This serpent comes along who we know is Satan And he deceives Eve. He says, you know, if you eat of this fruit from the knowledge of good and evil, you will come like God. You will become like God, knowing good from evil. So she sees that it's pleasing to the eye and good to taste, and she takes some and she eats it, and then she gives some to the man. And we have this thing called the fall of mankind. Now, I also like to point out at this point, as long as we're here, that Adam and Eve didn't physically die that day right and so but but god said if they eat of this fruit of the knowledge of the fruit of tree of knowledge of good and evil they will surely die well that is the concept of spiritual death so i want to point out that when they ate that fruit and disobeyed god they sinned against god and now god could not be united with them anymore he used to walk with them in the cool of the of the garden right and be in union with them. And when they sin, now this perfect, holy, and righteous God can't be in union anymore with that which is sinful. So they died that day, but they died spiritually that day. They became separated from God. And so, and then he kicks them out of the garden, and then they start having kids. And every single person that has been born on this planet ever since that day has inherited this fallen nature, this, this you are dead in your trespasses and sins, as Paul says, right? We are separated from God. And that is the nature each of us has now inherited. So right after this fall, right after this event, God gives this prophecy. First, he says that now, man, you're going to have to toil for your food, right? Women, you're going to have pain in childbirth. The serpent, you're going to have to crawl on your belly. And then he gives this prophecy. I will put enmity between you, the serpent, or Satan, and the woman, who is Eve, and between your seed, the serpent's seed, so the evil seed, the, the bad seed, the line of evil, if you will, and her seed. Now, what's her seed? Well, we're going to find out because God is going to promise this seed again in Scripture in just a minute. We'll see it in Genesis chapter 12. But the ultimate promise is that he will crush your head. So, this seed, who we're going to see as the Messiah, is going to crush your head, Satan, the evil one, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Well, once again, if you didn't know the rest of the story, this prophecy doesn't make sense. But we know the rest of the story now, right? We know that this Messiah is going to come. We know that he's going to go to the cross. Most theologians believe that when it says that Satan bruised him on the heel is a reference to the cross. And we know the ultimate victory is going to be the Messiah's where he is going to cast Satan into the lake of fire. That's the back of the book. I've read the back of the book. We win, right? <laughs> he is victorious. hmm But this seed, I want to read you something. This is from a good friend of mine, Del Tackett. He's the guy that did the Truth Project. And he wrote this thing called The uh, the Christmas Seed a number of years ago. And just a couple paragraphs because he describes this so well. That's when God told us about the Christmas Seed. He didn't say much. In fact, it wasn't a whole lot more than a hint, a clue, a mere glimmer of hope. But with God, whose power and might is infinite, a whisper of a promise is as sure as it gets. If he said he was going to take care of it, then we didn't need a lot of details. Was it mysterious? Yes. But it carried the promise that God, through this seed, was going to destroy the evil that had turned the light off in the garden. And if that happened, then maybe, just maybe, God also planned on turning the light on as well. But for sure, we knew that before this seed came, there was going to be a war. And this war was going to rage between the seed line of the evil one and the seed line of the woman. And so now we have this war, good, evil, the seed of this woman and the seed of the evil one. And we see this actually play out in Scripture in the Old Testament, don't we? So we see constantly Satan trying to destroy the line of the seed. Haman was going to destroy all the Jews. The Jews were in captivity in Egypt and were going to be uh, wiped out if it hadn't been for the, the, the Joseph and storing up food in, in the land of Egypt. We even see it in, uh, in the birth of Christ when the when Herod, killed all the babies that were two years old and younger trying to wipe out this coming seed. And ultimately in Satan himself, when he tries to destroy the seed and even the seed's heart stops beating on the cross and Satan thinks he's got this great victory over this seed, but no, he rises again. Mm. And in power and in glory, Satan couldn't destroy the seed, the promise that was to come. Mm -hmm. Wow. Fascinating! I'm loving this. Jeff fordorn is my guest. We
0: are going to take a little break, but there's going to be lots more. We talk about prophecies fulfilled by Jesus and the Christmas seed. Thank you for uh, joining me today. I'll be right back with Jeff Redorn in just a minute. We're talking about fulfillment of prophecies, and right now we're uh, continuing our discussion on the seed and the seed that was promised to Abraham.
1: I think we're going to pick up there, Jeff. Yeah, so he first tells us about this seed that's coming in Genesis chapter 3 after the fall of mankind. He now has a plan. I mean, God knew about this from the very beginning, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he had a plan in place. It's like man's going to fall. And I'm going to need to redeem man. And here's the first clue in the seed in Genesis chapter 3.15, verse 15. So the next place we see this seed is actually the promise made to Abraham. So if you've studied the Old Testament, you know that God made a promise to Abraham. This is called the Abrahamic covenant. And in this covenant or in this promise God makes to Abraham, he says that he would bless Abraham, that he would make his name great, uh, that he would be the father of many nations, and he and his descendants after him would possess this land he was going to give them forever, by the way. And then he says this, all peoples of the earth will be blessed through him. Well, now, with again, with our knowledge of the mm-hmm. New Testament, we know that that's a messianic promise, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. But listen to this. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, he says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram, and said to your seed, I will give this land. So he built an offer, altar to the Lord. And so once again, we have this picture of this seed promised to Abraham. Well, again, if it, just reading Genesis, just starting the way, if you didn't know the rest of the story, this is again, just a glimmer, just a glimpse, just a mysterious promise of this seed. We don't know what it means. And then God promises the same promise that he gives to Abraham, he gives to his son Isaac. So we fast forward to Genesis 26, and this promise, this covenant, uh, this promise of the seed and, uh, and the land and so forth is then given to Abraham's son Isaac, not to the firstborn Ishmael, but to the child of the promise Isaac. That promise then passes on to Jacob, one of the two twins. Remember, Jacob had two twins, Esau and Jacob. The promise doesn't pass to the older twin, but to the younger twin, to Jacob. And then, of course, Jacob, his name is changed to Israel. Israel has 12 sons and becomes the nation of Israel. So that promise, that covenant, was passed from Abraham to Isaac and Jacob. So now we know, now we're building a little picture here, aren't we? Mm -hmm. We now know that the Messiah, this seed, is going to come from the line of Abraham, from the line of Isaac, and the line of Jacob. But God doesn't stop there. No, he's got a plan. So in Genesis chapter 49, he gives us a clue about the tribe of Judah, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And he says this, he says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Well, most commentators understand that Shiloh coming as the Messiah coming. So this is one more of these little clues that now we know the Messiah, this seed, will come from the tribe of Judah. But of course, he doesn't stop there. There's more prophecies for this Christ. So we jump to Isaiah. And we get the description that the Messiah would be from the branch of Jesse. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Well, Jesse was David's father. Fast forward a little bit more. We have the life of David. And God gives David this incredible promise. He says in 1 Samuel chapter 7, and verse 12, God tells David, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own flesh and blood, and I will establish my kingdom with him forever. (sighs) Ah, well, now we get some more of the picture. He promises David that I will raise up a ruler. Now we're talking about a person. Now we know this promised one is going to be a person, and he's going to be a descendant of David, and he's going to possess this kingdom Forever, well, who's that that can only be the Christ? So now we know of this seed he's going to be a descendant of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, from the line of Judah, a shoot coming out of Jesse from the line of David. Well, guess what Let's fast forward to the New Testament for a second and go to Matthew chapter one. actually there's two genealogies in the New Testament. The New Testament Gospels, both Matthew and Luke, start with, start with these genealogies. And have you ever wondered why? why? Why does God put these genealogies in Scripture, you know? So-and-so begot so-and-so, the father of so-and-so, and, and so forth. And I've heard it taught that, well, yeah, it shows that, you know, because there's some characters in that line of Jesus, and it shows that God can use anybody uh, for his purposes, which is absolutely true. But I think the main reason is to show the genealogy of the Christ to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies about his coming. So let's look at the first one, Matthew chapter 1. This is a genealogy from Abraham all the way down to Jesus. And it will say from Abraham, the father of so-and-so, the father of so-and-so, and all the way down. And you'd expect that once it gets to Jesus, it would say, jesus joseph the father of jesus right but it doesn't say that it says joseph the husband of mary whom was born jesus who was called the christ so joseph is not the father if joseph would have been the father of jesus and, and and jesus's body was the product of reproduction he would have inherited the sin nature Mm -hmm. that was passed on from Adam all the way down. That's why the virgin birth of the Christ is so important. He didn't inherit that. Luke says it a little bit differently. In Luke, it's, it's the lineage of Christ all the way back to Adam. So you have Jesus, the son of I'm sorry, Joseph, the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so. And And over and over again, we see the son of, the son of, the son of, all the way back to Adam, the son of God. Why is Adam the son of God? It's because God made Adam. Adam was not the result of reproduction. He was from God. Mm -hmm. God made him. In the same way, God made the body of Jesus in the womb of the virgin. So that's why he's called the son of God. But of it, it says this, of of the relationship of Joseph and Jesus in Luke chapter 3, it says, And he, Jesus, was the son, so it was thought, (laughs) of Joseph. So once again, the genealogies show and prove the Old Testament prophecies that this Messiah would come as a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David, David, and so on, and yet was from God, was the Son of God. Both of these genealogies make it clear that Jesus was not from the seed line of man, but came directly from God. That's fantastic. I'm pausing here, trying to take all this in. Isn't that, I mean, just the thought that God knew back in Genesis chapter Mm 3, immediately after the fall, that his plan of redemption, which is really what the Bible describes, right? Mm -hmm. The Bible describes his plan of redemption. And from Genesis chapter 3 on, he's dropping little clues, little pieces, little nuggets that, hey, I've got a solution to this problem of mankind's fall. And it's going to be through this Messiah, this seed who is going to come. And when he finally comes, right, the, 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 the serpent couldn't stop it. He tried over and over again to stop this seed line. He couldn't do it. He even killed the Messiah, and he couldn't stop the seed line. And that seed came, this Messiah, this ruler that he told David way back when, that a ruler would come and ultimately uh, destroy the serpent. Now, in Jesus' first coming, does he destroy the serpent? The answer is no. He doesn't do that yet, right? Right. He overcomes them. He conquers death by rising from the grave. But you have to look at Christ's second coming and the fulfillment of the the, the next age, this millennial age, when God will finally, when Christ will finally destroy Satan and throw him into the to the lake of fire. So, one more verse in this segment here, we see this come all together in Paul in Galatians chapter three. So, Paul's going to tie this up for us together and put a little bow on it here. Galatians chapter three, in about uh, fifteen here. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to his seeds, plural with an S, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. God made a promise to all mankind that this seed would come. It would be from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He would preserve it. And the seed did come, and he conquered death, and he provides us a way to be reconciled back to God through this seed that was promised in Genesis chapter 3. Cool. Fantastic. Just fantastic.
0: All right, this may be a time to just take a slight pause because we're kind of at that time in the hour. But there's lots more to come with Jeff Redorn as we're talking about uh, prophecies and this Christmas seed. It's uh, been fascinating, Jeff, so far. I can't wait to take uh, a short break and get back at this. Thank you uh, for listening. We'll be right back with Jeff Redorn. Jeff Verdorn, we're talking about prophecy and the Christmas seed. Jeff, fascinating discussion so far. I know there's more prophecies for us to talk about in the remaining time we have, so let's get back to it.
1: Well, yeah, so I mentioned at the start that there's about 83 or so unique individual direct prophecies for Christ, and we've kind of covered about, what, seven or eight of them, Mm -hmm. uh, basically related to his lineage, his genealogy. But of course, we know. um, So let's just start walking through a couple of these. Um, Micah says that this Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So if you remember the Christmas story, the wise men from the the east came and they went to Herod and and he asked his wise men of Israel, where would the Messiah be born? And they knew, right? They Mm -hmm. answered in Bethlehem. Well, how did they know that? Well, because Micah 5, 2, verse 2, says so that this ruler over Israel would be born, would come from Bethlehem. And of course, that was fulfilled in the birth of Christ. Uh, The next prophecy is that he would be born of a virgin. We just talked about why that was so important that the Messiah be born of a virgin, because otherwise he would inherit Adam's fallen nature. Uh, But Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Matthew 1 uh, fulfills that. Um, By the way, as you read through Matthew, a lot of these God actually specifically will tell us to fulfill what was written in the Old Testament about such and such, you know, this therefore happened. And so God actually, you know, directs us and points us to the fact that, hey, you know, I'm fulfilling some Old Testament prophecy here. So another one is that he would be called Emmanuel, what we just read, um, that there would be the slaughter of innocent children. I just mentioned this earlier. Well, the fact that there would be great weeping, um, Rachel would be weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because her children are no more, Jeremiah 31, 15. Well, that, I believe, is a prophecy for the Slaughter that happens around the birth of Christ at Bethlehem at the at the order of Herod, right? To kill all the babies two years and younger. Um, the 14th prophecy, kings shall bring him gifts and fall down before him, right? So it says in Isaiah 60 that they will come bearing gold and incense. Well, what did the kings, the wise men really, from the east bring him? Gold, frankincense, and, and myrrh. Uh, by the way, really aside, there was three gifts. It doesn't say how many wise men there are, right? Mm-hmm. So we sing that song, you know, We Three Kings of Orientar or whatever. We don't know if there was three or how many there were. We know there was three gifts. And, Jeff, if they were astrologers and magicians, would should we be calling them wise men? <laughs> well, I wouldn't call most astrologers of today wise men because they're mm, I, trying to predict the future or right. whatever. Uh but back then they were ones that tracked the stars okay and so i thought they were pretty wise to figure out that this star that this sign that they saw in the sky which i don't know did you see the jupiter sander alignment yesterday yeah. it was it was cloudy so i don't i don't know but as they've been moving closer together they call that the christmas alignment yeah. mm-hmm. a lot of people believe that the star, the Bethlehem star that the wise men used to follow was Jupiter, this king planet, and potentially its alignment with Saturn and potentially in the constellation Virgo for the Virgin. Mm-hmm. And and uh, there's actually some believe that that was the celestial event that they were following uh, as a sign for the Messiah being born in Israel. So very interesting. Um, another prophecy, he would be preceded by one Who would announce him? He would be preceded by one. Well, John the Baptist came, and in Matthew chapter 3, we get the fulfillment. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, quote, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Well, John the Baptist fulfilled that prophecy Mm -hmm. uh, precisely. He would be called God's chosen servant. He would do God's will. He'd be declared a son. He would be the Lord's anointed one to preach the good news. Uh, He'd be called a a Nazarene. So Judges says that he would be called a Nazarene. And in Matthew 2, it says, And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. Are you getting a picture here? Did God tell us that this guy was going to come? Yeah. Um, Malachi 3 says that the Messiah would come to his temple. And sure enough, in Matthew 21, Jesus enters the temple area. He would have a ministry in Galilee. Well, that was Jesus's base of operation. Capernaum, the town that he basically had his ministry out of, is on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee in the Galilee area. So he was called of Galilean. He'd have a ministry of healing. He would speak in parables. I love this one. Psalm 78 says, I will open my mouth in parables. And Matthew thirteen thirty-five says, so was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. Huh. They were asking him, why do you speak in parables? Mm-hmm. It, to fulfill prophecy was one of the reasons. Cool, huh? It's very cool. Um, a prophet like Moses, number 28 on my list here, the Old Testament says in Deuteronomy 18, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. So That's Moses speaking in Deuteronomy. So Moses is telling Israel that God says, Another prophet like me from among your own brothers will come. You must listen to him. And sure enough, Acts 3 says that, uh, that Jesus was the prophet that Moses was speaking of. All right, so that's Acts 3, verse 1. 20. He'd be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Oh, I don't want to touch that one. That yeah. one gets kind of. We don't have enough time for that no, one, Jeff. We, we don't. But sure enough, we know that Jesus was the priest in the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews 5 tells us that. And uh, the Old Testament tells us that this priest in, in the order of Melchizedek would come. Uh, he would be meek and compassionate, be adorned by children, hated by men. He would have sorrow. He would be a great light. All of these are individual prophecies in the Old Testament. Now, remember, just an aside, everything in the Old Testament was written at least 500 years before the Gospels were written. So, God was telling the world that this Messiah was going to come for more than 500 years before the Messiah actually came. All right? Just to put it in perspective. He would be sinless. So Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53 is a great messianic passage about the coming Messiah, that he would be crucified and so on. Here it says in verse 9 that though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. And First Peter 2.22 says, quote, about Jesus, that he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. He was the Lamb of God without spot or blemish, Right. He was without sin. He became like his brothers in every way, but was without sin. So we know that was prophesied in the Old Testament, that he had to be without sin. And then my 38 is another huge prophecy. I'm going to try to explain this one in in as short a period of time as I can, because it's huge. Daniel 9 is a prophecy for the coming of Christ, the first coming, and actually also sets the stage for the second coming. But of the first coming, it says this, no one understand this from the issuing of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the Messiah comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. All right. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's basically saying from the decree to restore Jerusalem until the Messiah would come, there will be a period of approximately 483 years. Okay. That's basically the interpretation of this passage. Well, guess what? We find a decree in Nehemiah chapter two to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. And we count off the appropriate number of amount of time. And guess where we come to? We come to Palm Sunday, 32 AD, when Jesus is riding in on a donkey into Jerusalem to the exact day. That prophecy is fulfilled. So, not only did God tell Israel and the world that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, He told us when to look for the Messiah in this Daniel 9 prophecy. So, this prophecy indicates actually several different prophecies in it the Messiah would come at an exact time. At a minimum, We know that the Messiah had to come before the next verse in this prophecy, which is that the Messiah would be cut off. Well, of course, that's Christ's crucifixion. Mm -hmm. And then the temple would be destroyed. So the Messiah had to be cut off, according to the Old Testament prophecy, before the temple was destroyed. When was the temple destroyed? We know historically that that was 70 A.D. at the hands of Rome. So whatever you think about the Messiah know that the Old Testament declares that the Messiah had to come and die prior to 70 AD. But more, I think this prophecy is even more powerful because I think it actually predicts the exact day of Christ riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, which, by the way, is another prophecy for Christ who, as Zachariah said, would behold, your king comes riding to you on a donkey. Uh, which is another prophecy for the Christ. It's amazing. Just amazing. We're only halfway through. Okay. <laughs> Better start talking faster. I know it. All we're right. running out of time. How much time before break here? Two, Two minutes. minutes. Yeah. All right. So that's my next one. Zechariah 9 9 says, See, your king comes to you riding on a donkey. And sure enough, John chapter 12, we see the Messiah riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. All right. So now we're kind of getting into. We're kind of through his life, if you will. And, of course, now we're getting into his kind of his final week and his crucifixion. Um, we know that he would be rejected by his own people, Psalm 118 says. He'd be plotted against by Jews and Gentiles, Psalm 2 says. Jesus was was to be betrayed by a friend, Psalm 41 says that that betrayal price would be 30 pieces of silver, uh, which it was. And that he'd be accused by false witnesses, um, that he would be silent before his accusers. And remember the scene in Matthew 26 where he's brought before the high priest, and the priest says, are you going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent before him. Well, that was a prophecy in Isaiah 53. He'd be struck on, a, on the cheek. He'd be spat upon. He'd be beaten and disfigured. Isaiah 52 says, Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness. That's the beating that Christ took before the cross. And then, of course, the actual crucifixion. Psalm 22 says this. By the way, Psalm 22 is a great messianic psalm. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men have encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Well, what is that a prophecy for other than the crucifixion of Christ? He'd be hung on a tree. He'd be numbered with the transgressors. They would cast lots for his clothing. Psalm 22 once again says, They divide my garments amongst them. They cast lots for my clothing, what did they do at the foot of the cross? Matthew 27 says, "When they had crucified them, him they divided up his clothing by casting lots."
0: Well, wow. Jeff, let's take a little break. Jeff Redorn is my guest. We're talking about amazing prophecies in Scripture, and we're um, going to be back after a short break. back with Jeff Verdorn. We're talking prophecies, and this is fascinating, Jeff. So I think we're going to try to wrap up a few prophecies and then talk about some indirect prophecies. Yes. We have 11 minutes.
1: Good luck. (laughs) I know. Well, this is a semester class here. Okay. (laughs) So I love it. We're getting it all in an hour. Yeah. we're, We're trying to do a semester class in, in, in about an hour. So, um, yeah. So some of the rest of the Direct prophecies for during his crucifixion. We we know the story. So these, old, but a lot of people don't understand that a lot of the stuff that happened on the cross was actually prophesied for the Messiah in the Old Testament. That he'd be thirsty. That they'd give him vinegar. That he would be mocked. That they would hurl insults these at are him. Are all Old Testament prophecies exactly? Yep and and so we know even the the prophecy uh, psalm 22 says he trusts in the lord let the lord rescue him remember the the guard at the foot of the cross says he trusts in the lord let the lord rescue him Matthew 27:43 wow. yeah. um there would be darkness there would be an earthquake that he would be buried the same day uh, one that's very fascinating is that not a bone would be broken not a bone would be broken. So normally when someone was crucified, they would go around later and break their legs to speed up the death process. Mm-hmm. But Jesus died without having that happen. And so he literally died without a bone being broken. That's in Psalm 22 as well. And so a lot of the crucifixion, Psalm 22 is, a, is an amazing psalm about Virtually about the crucifixion of Christ, uh, written hundreds of years before it happened. But of course, there is another prophecy for this Messiah, and that he would rise from the dead, right? So, Psalm 16, David writes, Nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Well, Jesus did not see decay. On the third day, he rose again in power and glory, and the angel said to the women that were at the tomb, He is not here, he has risen remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee um, so there are, like I said, about 83 direct prophecies for the birth, the life, the teaching, the, uh, the, the crucifixion and resurrection of the Messiah, starting with Genesis chapter three, the Christmas being the first mm-hmm. one That's fantastic so that that's some of the direct ones um, okay, you talk about indirect, what does that mean? Well, Let's touch on some uh, of those yeah, so the direct ones are you know he will say this, this will happen, he will be born in Bethlehem, but there is, for example, the life of Joseph, and if you study the life of Joseph and the life of Jesus, you will see that there's some will have a list of sixty different items. We're not going to go through those sixty. Don't get worried. 60 different items in which the life of Joseph parallels the life of Jesus. All right? So just a couple of them. They stripped Joseph of his garments. They stripped Jesus of his garments. Joseph's own brothers rejected him. Jesus was rejected by his brothers. Joseph was tempted, but was without sin. Jesus was tempted, but was without sin. Um, Joseph was about 30 years old when this happened. Jesus was about 30 years old when his ministry started. Joseph was cast into a pit and, and left for dead. Jesus was descended into hell and left for dead. Joseph's brothers later repented for what they had done to him. Well, one day Israel will repent of what they have done to Jesus. They will look upon him who they have pierced and they will mourn. So that's one of these indirect prophecies by just the life of Joseph. Mm-hmm. If you were a Jew and you understood and knew the history of Joseph and some of the components of his life, when you then saw Jesus' life and read about his the things that happened to him in the Gospels, you should recognize those things as a prophetic type that happened long ago in Joseph's life. Mm-hmm. And when
0: you said that Joseph was tempted but did not, he was without sin, well, he was born...
1: But, uh, yeah, condition. I didn't say he he was without sin. I think I said he didn't sin. So remember when he was tempted with Potiphar's wife? Yes, but he chose... He the, chose not to Yes, right. Yeah, he so... F- he fled. That's a great point. It okay, wasn't good. that Joseph was totally sinless. Right. He chose not to... F- in the, the account in the, in the narrative in the Old Testament. Right, right. Okay, good. He chose wisely, as he they did. say. Yes, right. indeed. Um, one of the other ones is uh, that I really like is in inanimate objects. So we have the mercy seat, and I mentioned this at the beginning of the hour. So on the mercy seat, the the in let's describe the temple, right? So we had the temple building, we had the holy place where the priests would serve daily. They'd fix the bread and the menorah was there, the light was there, and the incense, the altar of incense was there. And that's where the priests would daily go. Only once a year would the high priest go into the holy of holies, where he would then offer the blood on the mercy seat. So what was in the Holy of Holies? It was the the Ark of the Covenant with the different items, and that Ark of the Covenant had a cherubim, an angel, kind of on one side and an angel on another side. And the high priest would go in there, and he'd sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. And that's where God's presence was said to exist, in the Holy of Holies. Well, here's this cool picture. Mary walks into the tomb, into this tomb hewn out of solid rock. The, the stone has been rolled away. And she comes into this this room where the body would have been laid on this rock shelf. And the body's no longer there. But she sees two angels. Do you remember the story? Mm-hmm. One at his head, where his head was laid, and one at his feet. Well, what is he seeing? Well, I'm sorry. What is she seeing? I think she's seen a picture of the mercy seat where the sacrifice would have been laid, right? Christ was laying right there. He mm-hmm. was the sacrifice. I think that's so cool. That's very cool. And, of course, there are many others, even the items in the Ark of the Covenant. Well, remember what the items were? The, the manna from heaven that they kept, the law from God mm-hmm. that was given to Moses, and Aaron's staff— that budded. Do you remember that? Yep. Well, Christ is the fulfillment of all of those items in that ark. He is the law from God that came down from heaven. He is the bread, the manna from heaven that came down to earth. And he, in his resurrection, was the dead staff that budded. He came to life and rose again. Um, people have walked through all of the elements of the temple area and have shown symbolically, symbolically how they all point. To Christ, um, the feast of Israel point to Christ. Um, I don't have time to go through all seven feasts, but all seven of the feasts that God prescribes for Israel point to the life and the death and the second coming of Christ. So, what's the first first feast that Israel was to recognize? And that's the Passover, right? Mm-hmm. Well. They, the first Passover, they took blood from a lamb, they put it on their door, and the death angel passed over them. And they were supposed to commemorate this year after year. where So every year on Nisan 14th, they would sacrifice their lamb. And their lamb, late in the afternoon, would be slaughtered so that that night they could eat the Passover. Well, guess what? Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, in that final week of his life, was hanging on the cross late in the afternoon, dying for the sins in the, of the world at exactly the time that all of Israel was sacrificing their lambs for the Passover meal. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Fulfilling,
1: Five I know it. It is crazy. And then, of course, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was next and then the feast of first fruits which is his resurrection and then the next feast would be the feast of pentecost which came 50 days later and sure enough the church is born at pentecost mm-hmm. and uh so so look even the feasts that god prescribed to israel point to the messiah the lamb the sacrifice points to the messiah the scapegoat in the old testament points to the messiah um it all points to jesus the mosaic piece of scripture the
0: entire Peace piece is so stunning. Yeah. All these pieces that fit in so perfectly.
1: Whether it's direct, mm-hmm. whether it's events, whether it's inanimate objects, feasts and festivals, sacrifices, and it all started with this seed mm-hmm. of the woman would come and destroy Satan. I guess the way to end this, this show is, remember it said in that prophecy way back in Genesis 3.15, that he will crush your his head, the serpent's head. Well, for this one, we need to go to the back of the book. Because in the back of the book, what do we find out? We find out that Jesus himself is the one that takes Satan and throws him into the lake of fire, defeating this enemy, defeating this foe, defeating the line of the evil seed once and for all. And what happens next? Well, that's when God makes the new heaven new earth, new Jerusalem, and he says nothing unrighteous will ever enter into that new heaven and new earth. And he says in Revelation 21, verse 3, he says, and then God will dwell with man. Well, that didn't happen since the Garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. And everything in between is God's plan to redeem mankind so that he could once again dwell with man.
0: I'm so glad that's uh, our reality. It is. It's I've just, read the back of the book, it's, Bill. I love the way it ends. Jeff, yeah. thank you so much for uh, sharing with this uh, oh. amazing prophecies today. It's been really great to go through these. Uh, I know we went through quickly, but you know what? We only had an hour, but we could have mm-hmm. spent uh, a whole semester.
1: We could. Yeah. Merry
0: Christmas. Steve, Merry Christmas Bill. to you. Jeff dorn has been my guest. That wraps up our show for the day. Thank you so much for listening today. And, uh, Letting me uh, share this time with you. It's just been wonderful. Have a great night. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.